This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. Uh, you know, you can you can do some amazing things in your career, but you only have to do one major thing uh, to stumble into that abyss called failure. And, you know, uh, an exercise I often do with uh, leaders is I'll say, I'm just going to play a game now. I'm going to mention somebody in a prominent public position and I want you to think of a word that describes them. That's Dr Julie Cruz. If you'd like to hear how that game plays out, then keep listening. Julie is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Julie teaches business ethics and corporate governance at Edith Cowan University in Perth, Western Australia. She's appeared regularly in various media outlets, including radio, television and print media, speaking about business ethics and corporate governance. Prior to her current role in the university sector, Julie had a long career in education and the public service. She's conducted many forums on ethics and leadership in both the public and private sectors in Australia. And this year, she'll be presenting at the 2021 Western Australian Primary Principals Association Conference. In this discussion, we take a look at ethical leadership in various contexts, but also with a focus on education and what that means for teachers and school leaders today. Julie, you've actually had a beginning as a primary school teacher, now a lecturer in... uh let's just say the wide area of business, but now focusing on ethics and governance. Why that space? Well, I think it's something that I wasn't conscious of giving a label to initially. I mean, as I started out as a primary teacher, but then I gradually evolved and changed tracks, different uh, roles, and I left teaching and I'm now in the, at the tertiary level, so I'm actually come full circle, really. I'm back in education. But um, it became apparent to me through my own professional development and studies at university and that um, the way people behave personally and professionally was a tenant of uh, good governance in organisations and leadership. I started to focus on leadership and my thesis was on Um, I wanted to see the influence of ethics and what that looked like uh, in leaders. And, of course, in contemporary times, uh, how leaders conduct themselves personally and professionally has become absolutely of paramount importance Mm. in the success of that organisation. Yeah. So there's plenty of examples of, uh, you know, you you can do some amazing things in your career, but you only have to do one major thing. Uh, to stumble into that abyss (laughs) called failure and, you know, uh, an exercise I often do with uh, leaders is I'll say, I'm just going to play a game now. I'm going to mention somebody in a prominent public position and I want you to think of a word that describes them. Oh, dear. Oh, no. So I go, you know, Bronwyn Bishop and, of course, people go helicopter. Oh, no. You know, Barry O'Farrell, 1955 bottle of grain. Oh, yes. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> so it, it doesn't take a lot uh, to uh, tumble, No, that's for sure. Well, that actually um, segues me into the first question that I'd really like to ask you. And I thought as soon as I knew that we were going to do this interview, I thought, oh, I can't wait to ask this one. Because uh, as we were talking about previously, I once read in Richard Branson's book, Business Stripped Bear, he describes ethics this way. Just never do anything you wouldn't want to read about the next day in the paper. What's your take on that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I'll take it back one step. I think 
if you, uh, it always starts with the self. I think you need to conduct yourself um, and believe in your values and your moral compass and do things because it's the right thing to do, not because you're being watched or you're going to be assessed. That way you can be accountable for your actions. But Richard Branson is absolutely right. There's um, ways of looking at how you've evaluated your decision-making and that becomes a bit of a guide. So if you make a decision and that decision is going to be reported in the paper or on social media uh, more aptly now, um, I think that's a pretty good, how do you feel, the squirm factor, mm. you know, the litmus test. Um, <laughs> also, you, you need to ask yourself, well, if I make this decision, what will the, those that are closest to me that I love think about this decision? Yeah. Um, how will it affect my, my main stakeholders in, in the business or the organisation? Uh, what would I feel if this was being done to me? So they are just very broad principles that you can evaluate your decision making. I think in a in a very, but you've got to be prepared to really know yourself and to know the parameters of your uh, values. Yeah, I like the way you use the word or the term moral compass there. One thing that I often think about though, when people use that word or use that that way of describing a, a, a you know an approach towards morality or ethics is, well, a compass has. 360 degrees, right? It's a, it's a full circle, which means my needle could be pointing that way and somebody else's needle could be pointing in the other direction. How do we reconcile those two things when when ethical positions could potentially be pointing in the opposite direction? Yes, that it's a very interesting thing. I think um, you have to establish where your values sit and where your moral compass is in relation to the world. And this is why in organisational ethics, uh, when you're trying to develop an ethical culture in the organisation, uh, you have to have things that are broad enough but reflect the tone of that organisation that you want to lead. And most people that leave an organisation, and this is an indication of this, is they leave an organisation uh, because their values are clashing or aren't aligned with the organisational values or the leadership. People rarely leave work because of the nature of the work you know, that the role uh, that they are doing uh, becomes problematic when these uh, ethical challenges come into view. But I think if you are a very clear, uh, when we talk about ethics, we're talking about um, character. And the ancient Greeks, character uh, is means to engrave. So it's those deeply embedded things that you've grown up with that, and they, they're always going to differ uh, and the, the way of illustrating this is morals um, change over time. What was acceptable 30 years ago is not acceptable now. Mm. Um, but the rules of what's, what ought I do in this situation, what is the most appropriate action is all about ethics. I, I often refer to ethics as being your morals in action. Um, so you need to know where your moral compass is and there needs to be some flexibility. We live in a global world. We have to be aware that there has to be a little bit of flexibility. We can't be absolutist, mm. but we have to have that strong conviction of what is important to us, what are our principles and values that guide us. It, it, it is a guide. A small town in the Pilbara of Western Australia, a mining town, a closed mining town, and 
back in the day, as we, the expression we sometimes <laughs> use. Back in the day. Um, yeah. Back in the day, there was a very, very hard delineation between what happened at home and what happened at school. Um, you know, there were things, the things that are, are, that are more prominent now and have been given, um, you know, that we are debating and talking about in schools now. Um, you know, if we talk about... Uh, you know, discipline, for example, um, many parents, um, you know, sort of were quite happy for you to discipline their child as such mm. at school. But the relation, I think the line between, uh, you know, the relationships of teachers with parents, the wider community, um, I, I wouldn't want to be in the classroom now. It is really, really complex. And I think teachers are having to take on more and more or being more aware of all the social um, issues that are are out there, I think teachers have to be educated and aware of what are the prominent issues that are uh, dominating uh, society and uh, being able to manage that in the context of a school, uh, which is a social um, system uh, that has to, you know, leaders in schools have got so much more to deal with and that's why it's really important to come back to what are the principles and values that mm. drive that um, school system? What do we stand for? Um, what are our values? And try and embed that into a school culture so that, you know, if we talk about respect and trust and openness, how does that look when we develop our policies at the, at the school level? Um, I think it's uh, very, very complex. Is this something that universities should be responding to more actively in terms of pre-service training? And I'm thinking now specifically about teachers, but I'm also connected with uh, a university over here on the East Coast, and I wonder, mm -hmm. I, I guess the same thing would apply for tertiary educators as well. Should we be more actively involved uh, in training pre-service professionals uh, in the area of ethics so that when they come into the workforce, when they come into those very socially complex places like schools that it's not like a you know a whack in the face kind of oh my goodness this you know this yeah. is much more than I expected. Oh no no I I agree that um, I look at uh, ethics ethics is a prism uh, a, you know a, a prism or a lens through which we look at things so um, we people who don't recognise a moral component to a situation aren't going to recognise that there's an ethical dilemma in that situation. At the, at the end of the day, um, if, we look at, if we look at ethics, if we're asking the question, what ought I do in this situation? It's only an ethical dilemma because there's no one right answer. We're trying to grapple between usually two to three possibilities or potentials of the way we could go in a situation. Um, but but also it asks a fundamental question, you know, what ought I do here? Yeah. What am I dealing with? And the, the really important aspect of something in the ethical domain is that your actions are going to affect others. To what extent they're going to affect others depends on the context, and it's always about context. And I think sometimes we get a bit particularly in bureaucracies, we get a bit bound by the bureaucratic rules and processes yeah. and we're blind to the context and we've got to develop a confidence and a, a, what I call a moral imagination to be able to act in these difficult situations. So I think, um, I mean, I think um, 
Victoria has done it and is still doing it. Um, you can teach values at a very early age. You know, children are very, very good at, um, you know, making a judgment about fairness, for example, and justice, if you obviously have the appropriate tools uh, for them to make those um, uh, judgments. But also, um, I think educators, if, if you're training people to go into primary schools and high schools, definitely to give them those tools to go, well, I'm in this situation and a guidance. It's not a prescriptive way of dealing with ethical dilemmas, but there are guides that you can go by to help you in that ethical decision making. Mm. Do we see trends, phases or uh, particular topics uh, as we move through the decades? What, what sort of leadership ethical challenges are we facing, for example, at the moment? Well, I think one of the big, well, because of the pandemic has dominated our lives, uh, you know, uh, I think um, schools have got a, I find it really interesting that um, there's work from home uh, for most places, but uh, teachers that, you know, there's, um, there's risks for teaching uh, mm. and, their, and their environment. Um, I think trying to um, manage, uh, you know, the working from home, but also the issues that arise for parents because if schools are being shut down, um, then children are at home and it's the equity and the access to technology, to um, learning. Uh, what does learning look like when you haven't got your classroom in front of you? I mean, at the tertiary level, most things are online anyway. But um, I think it's put to the front the value that schools have in the social development of children. And I, I wonder what um, effect that that's having on children's mental health and teachers, of course. Yeah. Um, that is a really wellness at work and uh, where you're working in your workplace is really important. And that's really coming to the... Uh, right front and center because of this um, pandemic. I wanted Absolutely. to ask. I wanted to ask. Do you think we're getting any better? But thinking about our conversation so far, I'm just wondering whether it's better to ask. Do you think we were well prepared when the pandemic hit? Well, I don't think. Uh, I can only um, make a, a judgment based on um, the tertiary education sector. If uh, the university, well, the university I work at, we offer online on campus pretty much across across our programs. So it was just about um, making everything online. It's not that simple for schools. Mm. Um, of course, they uh, schools have um, they have their intranets and they have all of the communication tools online. But the the learning is still very much school centric. And I think that uh, is the most appropriate way, particularly for young children, uh, you know, in terms of equity and access to education. For some children, uh, for many children, school is their safe place. Mm. That's one place they can go to and be safe. It's one place that they can uh, grow intellectually and socially, um, you know, and they can be in an environment where they can perhaps have other opportunities that wouldn't be uh, available to them if they were at home. Um, not every child has that equal access. And I think um, a quality of learning opportunities is a big, um, a big one for the future. Let me ask you something really quite tricky, I think. Let's, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about 
um, ethics in the, you know, in terms of leadership and the educational environment. Let's say that you're a teacher listening to this and you and you're thinking, well, do you know what? I, I actually think that there are some ethical issues going on within my leadership team, and I'm not really sure what to do about that. What do people in that kind of uncomfortable space do in that situation? I, I think that's a very a very very good uh, question. Because it's one thing to raise the importance of making ethical decisions and um, developing an ethical mindset. But what happens if you're in an environment where there's um, something happening, there's behaviour that's not being called to account? And it's really interesting because people are very conscious, individual people in workplace are very conscious when there's behaviour that doesn't align with values that are being promoted in the you know, in the environment and leaders are not calling people to account. In fact, in my own research, surprisingly, uh, most CEOs said to me one of the biggest ethical dilemmas they had was knowing how to deal with people uh, who had breached ethical standards in their organisation and Often what people do is they go, oh, it will go away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't go away. It never goes away. And this is why when leaders fall from grace or organisations come crashing down, uh, there's always a history to it. Uh, there's always a big history where, you know, that line is crossed and it's all the little things build up. Um, my advice to anybody within an organisation and a school, and a school is an organisation, a very special one, is to, to seek the advice of a mentor or to seek the advice of external independent bodies if they don't feel safe enough to go to somebody. Mm. Um, I think this is why we can create an ethical environment in, in our schools and in our workplaces, but we have to also provide for people avenues of being able to talk about those things. It has to be a safe enough and trusting environment for these things to be discussed. Uh, they can't just be, you know, a tick box exercise. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, what's the difference then between being unethical and corrupt? Oh, well, if you think about um, ethics being in a on a continuum, uh, I think what most of us believe we're far more ethical in our behaviour than we actually are. Oh, no. We're neither. We're we're neither the devil the devil down this end or Mother Teresa up this oh, end. No. Depending on the context, uh, you know, there's different. You know, for example, there's a thing called proximity. Yeah. Um, it's why surgeons don't operate on their own family because the closer you are to what is happening and the more a decision is going to, infect, uh, to uh, affect your future and your prospects, et cetera, um, you know, there's a conflict there. So uh, you have to be aware, you know, people often think conflicts of interest, as an example, is a really bad thing. No, not recognising a conflict is the bad thing. Right. So ethics is on a continuum. If something's corrupt, where that's usually associated with the breaches of statutes and um, not just uh, you know going down that uh, you're you're definitely fallen right down into the abyss of that moral <laughs> slope. You're right. If it's corrupt, 
you've fallen over the edge well and truly. <laughs> oh, no. um, I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> yeah, you, yes, well, well, you're talking about corrupt is, uh, well, when we look at organisations, we'll put it, put it this way, you know, if you look at the Royal Commission into Banking, that didn't just end in corrupt practices. It started as unethical, you know, unethical acts, small acts that over time accumulated into things which broke the law and contravened and breached a lot of uh, guidelines on what was ethical practices in banking. So it's little wonder that when you allow people who, for example, worked in the Commonwealth Bank, they were getting commissions for selling bank products. Now, that sounds okay on the surface, but over time, what was happening is these people were um, recommending products to uh, customers that weren't necessarily suitable for them because at the end of the day, they got a commission mm. for selling those products. So there wasn't a conscious intent there, but over time, it became the driver. So it, it depends. Um, so corrupt is, you know, one thing. That's, that's right up one end. Um, in the, I can think of examples in our state, um, in Western Australia, um, when somebody embezzles millions of dollars from a, a government entity, that's that's a corrupt. That's yeah. absolutely corrupt. They've broken rules. They've broken all the ethical codes and beyond. Uh, so um, we like to uh, think that uh, if we have the right things in place, it will be all okay. But it, it just it just uh, depends. But corrupt. Um, look at Crown Casino. <laughs> yeah. that, that's all I need to say. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, uh, if we want the interview to go on for another couple of hours, <laughs> we could delve into that. No. Maybe if I no. could just describe it this way, then I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I want to try and just get a kind of a simple idea then between being ethical and being corrupt. So, would it be kind of fair to say that uh, thinking ethically involves? engaging your moral compass and allowing that needle yes. to move in accordance with the diversity that you see in the world and understanding that you yeah. don't live in a bubble, whereas corruption is where the needle is firmly pointed towards self-interest and doesn't move from there. No, that's, that's, it, it drives your action. And, uh, and, what, and the other thing is, of course, uh, corrupt uh, action, you don't have a conscience you you actually you believe in your own rhetoric. You you probably if you ask somebody that has uh, well, if we think uh, years ago in Western Australia, a prominent businessman who died probably being uh, you know one of the the most prominent people in uh, Western Australia, you know, Alan Bond. Mm. He did he didn't think he was corrupt, <laughs> uh, not at all. No, no, he believed. He did the right thing and and, and he was fine, uh, but he was everything but that. Um, and I think um, people who uh, want to behave in an ethical way, exactly the definition you gave, which I thought was really good, you're challenging yourself, you're matching it against a prism of looking at something and thinking about, you know, like you were saying earlier with Richard Branson, you know, what would others think of this action if it was reported tomorrow? Uh, can I live with this decision? You know, it's a really uh, simple concept. 
But if you are conscious of your own moral compass and your values, if you make a decision that goes against those values, you're probably going to lose a bit of sleep yeah, over it. Yeah. It's just not going to sit comfortably. It's, it, it's just not going to sit comfortably. And um, to get to that stage, you have to be prepared to be really honest with yourself and develop that moral imagination on your decision-making. <laughs> Sounds like it's a... Uh a very complex environment and one that we could potentially talk about for hours. And I think I think that's kind of built into the nature of ethics. Julie, it's been so wonderful talking with you this afternoon. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. So what kind of moral and ethical decisions will you make? If this discussion resonates or if you think a friend or colleague would benefit from hearing Julie's insight, then please share it with them. You can find this interview and others from inspiring educators from around Australia on your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.